Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in, dropping by, listening, whatever we're calling it these days. This course is hashtag jazz, and we are officially in the off season. Last time we were a little pessimistic, thinking the jazz would get swept, but the jazz didn't end up taking... Uh, it was game four, right? Yeah, it was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, they took game four, lost game five. So, uh, they, they did better than we thought they were. We thought they were going to get killed in game four after, you know giving up the 3-0, but I don't think it was too surprising considering how the Jazz played in Game 3, that they ended up being able to take Game 4, and they even challenged in Game 5, so it was nice to see a team that never really gave up and played its best basketball when the season was effectively, you know, over. You know, the writing was on the wall. You don't come back from 2-0 and 3-0 deficits, but they played their best basketball down 2-0, down 3-0, and down 3-1. So, applaud them for that, I guess. Um, that sounded kind of mean. I, I really do want to applaud the team. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean here. I, w- I was definitely proud of the Jazz for how they they played. You know, if if they played like this, maybe the whole the whole series and uh, played a little better on offense in terms of just making open shots, they could have won the series. But that's just the way things go. So. You you kind of redeemed yourself there. I was <laughs> I'm, in my head. If I'm the <laughs> listener, I'm just like ah, oh, they played their best basketball, which just means shit. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. Well, to be honest, I I don't think too highly of this roster is presently constituted. I think there are some fatal flaws, and they were exposed. Granted, that doesn't mean I don't love this team. I very much love every player on this team, uh, without a doubt. And it hurts when I think that, you know, we're going to talk about which players may or may not be hanging around later on this podcast, and it's going to hurt. Like There was an article I wrote the other day for, for SLC Dunk. I was basically, uh, it was about how Dennis Lindsay has a bunch of really hard decisions to make. The decision being whether or not to kind of dump some of the pieces, for lack of a better term, and build towards contention. Which means letting guys like... I think of the sentence I typed out was essentially letting Derek Favors, Joe Ingles, and Ricky Rubio go. And I nearly put into the article that it it almost physically hurt to type that sentence. Just letting those three guys walk. It was really hard to just conceive the idea of a of a jazz team that didn't have Joe Ingles on it. Or Derek Favors. You know, both really. And then throw out a guy like Ricky Rubio who's been nothing but awesome in terms of uh, being a person. Uh, and a locker room presence for the Jazz. We can talk about his on-court performance, but uh, as a person, I very much respect Ricky Rubio for his professionalism and just a, a ton of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but... Uh, I don't know, but how dare you say that Joe Ingles won't be here? I, I don't like saying, like I said, it hurt to to think of the idea. I think he's going to be here. I, I don't see any possibility of him going, but... If the Jazz were going to try and maximize cap space and be as heartless as possible, 
given his downturn this past season, it's trade him more. I think what might be best actually for Ingles, I'd much prefer to see him maybe go to the bench. Because I think playing 82 games as a starter for two seasons has taken its toll on Joe Ingles. Yeah, yeah. So I think it should be at least under consideration. I still think Joe Ingles has some good NBA years ahead of him just not as an 82-game starter, because I think it did affect him. Um, so as much as I think he prides himself on his Ironman achievements in the NBA, you know, he's played, I think, four seasons of 82 games, and that's it's a lot of mileage. Yeah, well, especially his age, yeah. I mean, we thought, you know, we were wondering what the hell was going on with him, and then he uh, lifts the veil on his son being autistic, and, you know, we saw an, in, we saw an uptick in, in uh, production. But other than that, yeah, I mean, he just was not the same well, player. The, yeah, well, then in the playoffs, he was just mysteriously off. Like, several of the Jazz players talk about missing open shots. Joe Ingles was one of those guys. I have mm-hmm. no clue why Joe Ingles missed so many open shots, shots that he normally makes. Right. I mean, he was top two or top three in three-point percentage last year, I believe. And, you know, he's right up there, I think, uh, who are the other guys? Like Otto Porter and Darren Collison or something like that. You know, usually it's the random names that are at the top of the three-point percentage list. And then this year he has a he was under sub 40 percent I think on the year. Obviously still good, above average, and definitely a threat I think day in and day out. Let's see where where is it? Uh, 39 percent. So definitely good, and I'd even say borderline elite. But again, it was it wasn't quite Joe Ingles, which was the disturbing part. Yeah, no, it really was because we're so used to. I mean, the playoffs last year against the Thunder, man, that was like the culmination of Joe Ingles. And yeah, it definitely was. Know, like, and then this this playoffs against Houston, we didn't see his best game until Game Four. No, Game Five. Game Five was when he became assertive for some reason. Yeah, I. I... It's hard to explain, but uh, I don't know. I was thinking we'd give our final thoughts on the Rocket series. And I think that's about all I want to say. I don't really want to look back on that series. It, the one thing I will say, this doesn't have to do with the Jazz Rockets. It doesn't have to do with the Rockets. There's apparently uh, know, there's a memo that the Rockets were going to send to the league or something like that, but they basically compiled this report where they're basically claiming that bad officiating uh, cost them in the series against the Warriors last year, which I thought was just precious. It's it's the most hypocritical and also just most Rockets thing to do, to say, yeah, the officials cost us. It's like, dude, you are the team that whines the most about officiating. It's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, what, did, you, did you see that and did you read about it? I haven't read about it. I've I have heard plenty about it for sure. Um, it's actually funny that this was brought up because I just I don't know if you listen to This American Life ever or any of our listeners do, but they did um, they did an episode titled Not Fair, um, and it was basically where they go off about how they like went to the the replay center in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, and they have this whole story about how. It was even it was the whole the whole reason it was put in place is was to keep the referees honest or not, not I guess not honest but there was like this whole thing with like referees um, apparently like 
being crooked and calling games in their favor and refs were I guess they were considering themselves gods and stuff like that and the same topic came up I don't, it wasn't specifically um I, I it wasn't specifically the Rockets but it was like um about like they they mentioned the Golden State Warriors a lot about how they do you know they flop to get calls and stuff like this and how and this goes back to two or three episodes ago where I was complaining about James Harden trying to do everything he could to try and influence the whistle uh, so yeah, it's it's very hypocritical. It, you look at yourself in the mirror, Chris Paul, James Harden. Like you guys do everything in your power to make it look like you get uh, that you get hit. I think they even said that in the podcast. There's like one guy, the one of them was saying, "Yeah, Chris Paul shoots it like he got shot." <laughs> <laughs> Certainly gives a different meaning to the term shot attempt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it kind of goes back to something I think we both agreed on in the last podcast. I think I, I brought up that so that you know every star does flop in certain cases, some obviously more than others. But for guys like James Harden and Chris Paul, it's such an integral part of their game, and maybe it's a part of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant's game too. But just most of the most of the time with James Harden, because. Again, it's it's just watching him and seeing it's part of his game. You look at Joel Embiid. I think Embiid takes about as many free throws as James Harden does. But we know why Joel Embiid gets fouled so much. Not because he flops a ton and he, you know, weaves, you know, foul to you know, you know, free throw attempts. Whatever I'm trying to say, he doesn't try and draw free throws by flopping excessively. It's not integral to his game to draw fouls. It's part of it, and sure, I'm sure he flops. But he's taking shots within like five feet of the basket all the time. That's where you get fouled. His come more naturally. I still hate Joel Embiid, but I'll concede he draws his fouls in a much more natural way. Same way I, I believe Shaq was also you know, taking a lot of free throws. A lot of dominant bigs took a lot of free throws. Wilt Chamberlain. I think he's one of the... He's another guy who took a bunch of free throws, but they're drawing it in a much more understandable way. James Harden is drawing a bunch of his free throws from like behind the three-point line and on jump shots and things like that. And again, it gets really annoying. And it's again, if, if there's one team that I will not give allowance to complain about referees, it is the Houston Rockets. Right. And and they have done just that. Is it like how how apropos is it that it like they do this when they're playing? Golden State, I, I just, I don't get it. I'm, uh, Golden State does their fair share of it. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna take that away yeah. from anybody. But at the same time, like, Golden State has won all these championships for a damn good reason because they have an awesome team, mm-hmm. and obviously their roster is super expensive. I don't think we'll see this same roster next year because money. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's you got the superstars. Honestly, just go listen to if you don't listen to um, this American Life, just go listen to that episode. It's called Not Fair. It was great. It was a great episode. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, there's a whole lot kind of wrong with the NBA in terms of stars and officiating and all that, and it's it's getting to a boiling point. It's happening in the NFL too. I think officiating is just become it's been put under such a microscope i don't think it's really gotten better or worse heck it might have gotten better to be honest 
uh, since, you know, way back when. It's just we all have an audience when voicing our complaints and we all have a collective place to go, whereas it used to be you talk about it by the water cooler and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Unless you wanted to mail your complaint to the NBA League office. <laughs> by actual letter. It's just... <laughs> That's was, that was probably the only way you could do it. Around the water cool or mail uh, David Stern or whoever it was before Stern, uh, the commissioner and whatnot. Uh, but enough about the Rockets. This isn't a Rockets podcast. You wouldn't know that by listening to our last like two or three episodes. We've talked way too much about Houston. Uh, but they've become such a hateable franchise. Like, I'm I'm rooting for the Warriors against the Rockets. That should not happen. Right. <laughs> I should never be rooting for the Warriors, and I am. Yep. The only other team I'd root for the Warriors against is if the 76ers make it to the finals. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not. Uh, all right. So we're, we're going to talk about the Jazz now. We're going to do a little bit of postseason grading. Uh, so we're going to be giving the Utah Jazz a report card, kind of in three main categories. The front office will basically start from – the end of last season. So basically the summer off season, the draft, free agency, and then obviously moves made throughout the season and up until, you know, the end of the playoffs, their loss against Houston in game five. Uh, And the coaching staff, you know, mostly for the season, not really for anything in the summer, and then the players. So front office, what they did in the off season and during the season, and what the coaches and players did during the season will give a letter grade, you know, F through A+. Plus. I don't think anybody's getting an F. But <laughs> I, I, I think the, the Jazz did have an overall good season. Uh, but we'll, we'll go into it. Um, I think me and Trey can each give a grade. Maybe we can average it out. But let's start with the front office. And... Trey, do you want to go first? Or you don't want me to. Oh, I, I mean, I could go. Yeah. Um, I I honestly haven't given this much thought. I I mean, I think the front office. The you know, obviously, we've talked about it before throughout this entire year. Is you know, but the, we'll start with the pickup with Grayson Allen. At the time, I thought it was a good pickup. Um, I still think it can be. So the pick itself, right now, I would say it sits at a C. Um, because he has major potential. He did do the four years in college, and usually you do four years in college, you're going to be able to play in the NBA. Um, but he got a rude awakening to the pace, the physicality, all that stuff. Um, and the, the front office in general, like they've done such a good job of um, kind of, I guess, marketing the team, not just to us as fans or here locally, but just the rest of the league. I mean, we've got, I know it wasn't, probably had nothing to do with their say, but I mean, we got a Christmas game in there. We hadn't had a Christmas game in 20 20 odd years. Um, That was awesome. You know, then we've got the image of Donovan Mitchell that's carrying that as well. Um, But you know, the the doubling down on the chemistry that was built from the previous season, you know, it was it was a gamble. And I think that, you know, for Dennis Lindsay to come into this organization, to believe it or not, this organization was built off of gambles wholeheartedly. Carl Malone was a gamble. Stockton uh, John Stockton was a gamble. Um Hornacek, not he was a pickup, but you know, it's all been a gamble. Bringing the team here was a gamble. Um so 
Obviously, you know, doubling down on that didn't really pay off. We got eliminated in the first round to the same team we lost to last year, obviously in the second round last year. But I, I don't know. I would say, you know, they're, they're, the front office kind of emulates the same thing that the team is in my, in my mind is it's all heart. It's hard work. It's dedication. All of those things, etc., etc., that they were building this entire season off of. So I would say probably I hate giving grades to things. Probably like a B minus, B no B plus, not B minus. You didn't hear that. Well, I'll tell you this. I think my overall grade might actually be a a B minus. So I think I might take that from you. Um, well, you can't have it. And and the <laughs> you you got a B plus. Yeah. You gave him a better grade. <laughs> Um, and for me, I, it's hard to give a grade, I think, to the front office because if we just isolate this season and say, all right, we're just thinking what happened this season, what did they do, I consider giving them an even worse grade. But it could be – it's a lot like when you're thinking about Magic Johnson as, as what he did with the GM because his plan – for the 2018-19 season wasn't really a bad plan when you consider this upcoming offseason. Mm-hmm. There was just a crap ton that went wrong in his plan, and he decided he wanted to tweet for a living instead of being a GM or president of basketball operations or whatever he was. Um, and so if Dennis Lindsay's plan, because you know, we, we've talked about the, the you know stick with chemistry, and obviously that, that didn't turn out too well, but if it was all part of a plan where he's he was looking forward to this offseason instead of trying to improve immediately. I'm much more willing to forgive his doubling down on the chemistry, even though it obviously produced a more negative result. Um, so, so I'm trying to kind of balance the two things here, because if you know if the Jazz picked up like you know Tobias Harris and Patrick Beverly this offseason, I'd be thrilled, uh, and I'd be pretty much willing to forgive this last you know couple of screw ups I believe that happened in the offseason, because then they might not even really be screw-ups. It was just preparation. So, but but still, you do have to consider the Jazz didn't get better at all, really. Um, you know, I don't really like the Grayson Allen pick. That's part of personal preference. I don't really like four-year college starters who don't present a whole lot of upside because Grayson Allen's deal was that he's NBA-ready. He's not NBA ready, right. and that's a problem. He's three, he's three or four years older than a lot of these prospects, and he's not NBA ready. And so I don't know if I'd consider him a bust just yet. There's probably he's got a lot of work to do and not a whole lot of time to do it before his, you know, his, uh, his length of rope runs out. You don't get much, much slack in the NBA. So I, I don't really like that pick individually. But again, it, I don't think it really impacted the Jazz. They could have picked anybody there, and it wouldn't really matter. Um, I didn't. Th- it's really hard to get a, pers- a player of value at 24, wherever they drafted him. So I'm not so much concerned about the draft pick as I am just the fact that the roster didn't really get better. I really love the Cal Corver move, so that's really what's pushing it up to a B minus. That was a really smart move, really good play. That made the team better from where they were, but it was really just catching up to where the Jazz were um, last year when they made to the second round. So overall, that's what I'm kind of looking at. A B minus. You get a pat on the back. You didn't royally screw it up. Didn't get too much better. So, you know, I I don't think really much less of Dennis Lindsay or the front office. It's just, well, 
this year happened. Let's move on. Let's get better. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame him one bit for trying to double down on that because of the success that they saw last season. I don't blame him for that one bit. Um, but now, I mean, obviously, the offense, the the lack of being able to make shots has reared its ugly head. Yeah, and this, this is very much a hindsight thing because, yeah, like you said, I didn't blame him at the time. Like, at the time, we all thought it was a wonderful idea and it made sense. It didn't. We learn our lesson. We move on. We're all good here. Yeah. Uh, and I in, still, in, in Dennis Lindsay, we trust. Uh, I'm still going with that. Until he proves to me that he's a bad GM, you know, you look at the evidence, you know, he's made the team better through the course of his, you know, his term as a GM even if this past season we didn't see the same improvement. Um, so let's move on to the coaching staff. Now this might be the hardest one because we're it's hard to evaluate coaches when you're a, when you're an armchair guy sitting on the sideline when you know the coaches are out doing their thing. I'm sitting on the couch eating potato chips watching the game thinking, oh you should have run the pick and roll there. Uh, so I think it's hard for us to analyze the coaching when we're not exactly supreme basketball efforts but overall uh, i mean i think with quinn snyder most of the complaints i've had were probably similar to last year in that i don't know, I, I still didn't like the you know Derek favor starting at power forward although towards the end of the season they were starting jay crowder and i mean overall Derek favor starting was more ceremonial so I was kind of okay with it. But again, there's it's mostly lineup things with me. Like not playing Dante Exum as much. Playing Ricky Rubio a little too much. Um, you know, just various things where it felt like, you know, again, it's just all about lineups. Where they're not playing this player when you might have been playing this player more. Generally surrounding Dante Exum, Ricky Rubio, um, maybe Derek Favors, Jay Crowder, but in the end, to me, I think Quinn Snyder again deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to do with this squad. So again, I'm probably looking at the maybe a B plus. Um, because you look at the offensive system and the defense, they did about as well as you could imagine this roster could. So outside of a few maybe disagreements in terms of playing time for certain guys wasn't really much to complain about with Snyder yeah I'm with you there um I mean I don't get me wrong I love favors to death but you know the first quarter or even half of the season that the favors Rudy Gobert lineup was not working out <laughs> just you've got two inside players that one can get his generate his own offense and the other has to get the ball lobbed to him. I mean, Rudy did leaps and bounds better offensively this season, but yeah, the, the, some of the schemes in that respect, like the lineups were just, they sometimes they didn't make sense, but at the end of the day, man, I just, you know, I think about what Quinn's system would do if we had, and you know, if we had just a few other pieces, like those sharpshooters, because we generated, more open shots than any team in the NBA. We just didn't hit them. I mean, imagine if those shots go in. I mean, you're looking at one of the best offenses in the NBA, hands down. We had the best defense again, which obviously, you know, credit Quinn Snyder and the entire coaching staff for that. The nice thing is is that Quinn Snyder is, is too smart for his own good. 
I feel like, you know, and he kind of feels like I just, you know, he's like, well, we're going to try this. And he's always, and I, you always hear from the players that, you know, Quinn Snyder is trying this and this and this. or trying these different things and how they can improve or how they can do something different, which is awesome. I think that's an amazing quality to have in a coach, especially someone who, like Quinn Snyder, is never satisfied with the results. So um, in that respect, I mean, I got to give him an, I got to give him a B plus as well, just because at the end of the day, you can have the greatest scheme in the world. And if your players aren't executing that scheme on a regular basis, then, you know, you don't look all that great. But Quinn Snyder, I, and it's, this isn't bias. He's just one of the best coaches in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't quite get enough credit because, you know, he doesn't have those star players because it's funny because the best coaches aren't even necessarily the ones who are coaching the best players. Like I think in this year, Greg Popovich might be one of the better, like, He's always been one of the better coaches, but he didn't get nearly enough credit this year. But he took DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge seven games with a two seed. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's those kind of underrated things that you don't notice. Uh, last year they kind of did because Quinn Snyder managed to beat the Thunder with basically the same roster, roughly speaking. But, you know, the, the Steve Kerrs and the Mike D'Antonis win Coach of the Year because they're coaching, you know, the MVPs of the leagues for some reason. Apparently that makes you coach of the year, <laughs> which never really quite made sense to me. Yeah, yeah, no, it it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, yeah, if I if I was that fortunate to have those types of players, yeah, I would I would look pretty I would look like a pretty awesome coach too. But I mean, at the end of the day, you gotta give Dan Tony a lot of credit, man. Like he's an offensive minded coach. He always has been. When he had Steve Nash, those Phoenix Suns teams were dangerous. You know, it's yeah. you know and. Steve Kerr, yeah, he's got he's got you know he was blessed with one of the greatest rosters that you know you've seen, and of course he's going to win championships. He's got the most elite players you can imagine. Yeah, I think that's one of the things you notice is that you know talk about good coaches and good players. You know, when you get a dynasty, you have to have a mix of both because you know you go to the NFL with the New England Patriots, you think. You know, there's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who's contributed more to the, their, you know, their 20-year runs. Like, well, you have the greatest coach, arguably, in the NFL, and the greatest quarterback, arguably, in the NFL. You know, they're both feeding off each other. So you need good coaching and good players to have that elite level. Whereas if you have one or the other, you know, you think of the, the Cavaliers the last few years, they had LeBron James. I think they had mediocre coaching, but some elite talent there. What are you, you know, talking about? LeBron, LeBron was the coach. Ty Lue was not the coach, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, when when LeBron's the coach, then that's mediocre coach. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I um, mean, that's that's how that's how I see Quinn Snyder. I mean, he's you give. I'm not saying that the, this Jazz team is mediocre. I mean, obviously, anybody who watched the series that is not a Jazz fan and saw them go out in five games. Uh, to the Houston Rockets in the first round is going to say, okay, yeah, it's a mediocre team. But you can't fault this team for their heart. And not only that, like, they wanted to play hard for Quinn Snyder. And that is the type of coach you want to play for. Someone who not only is going to coach you and tell you straight up what's going on and what he sees and what you're doing wrong, whatever, and then going out, you know, with Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is a perfect example. He's got his star player, and that star player, at 22 years of age, is wanting to be told what he's doing wrong he's you know he's getting pulled out of games at certain pivotal points so that he can sit down and be coached you don't see many coaches doing that 
Yeah, and so I, I definitely love the the coach player relationship that the Jazz have because they do have, you know, they don't have the superstar players, but they have, obviously have Donovan and Gobert, and then a good coach, which it's why they won 50 games. Right. You know, they've got a mix of great coaching and good players. Maybe they don't have super players, but you know, that mix has brought the Jazz basically two 50 win seasons. They won like 48 last year, 50 this season, and some playoff wins. Um, so let, let's move to the players. Let's talk about the players, maybe give them a grade. This is kind of hard since there's like 15 or 16, you know, I think there were like 19 or 20 players who put on, there's, so there's 18 players who suited up for the Jazz at some point and walked on the floor. So. Tyler Cavanaugh gets an A. <laughs> what, what were his advanced stats? I want to see. Oh, I don't know. Well, he, was just, the... he was just a really good cheerleader all season. <laughs> Well, it's fun to look at these advanced stats for guys who are like their per 100 possession. You see Tyler Kavanaugh, per 100 possessions, 22.6 points a game. Or, you know, per 100, I guess, not only per game. Oh, where is he? Oh, no, 11 points. Oh, sorry, never mind. He had terrible per 100. I was going to say, was it like when he was sitting on the toilet or... <laughs> I was looking at Tony Bradley. That was the one. Oh. I, I, apparently, I... I've had trouble reading tables. <laughs> I made I made a mistake the other day in a tweet I wrote, did where I said somebody ran for like 172 yards and that was actually how many carries they had. So uh, table reading's not my best. It's, uh, it's not my best attribute right now, and apparently neither is speaking. I can't talk today. <laughs> but. Let's let's break it down. We'll go guards, wings, and bigs. Is that fair? Sure. Uh, so let's talk about the guards. Basically, Donovan, Ricky, Raul, and Dante. Um, and honestly, I think overall, Donovan very much carries this this position group because really nobody else outside of Donovan really really did much for the Jazz. No, Ricky Rubio obviously started and he's he's a good player and he did a lot of good things. But I think overall you look at this position group, it's Donovan and then everybody else. There's not really a bad player in the bunch, but there wasn't other much other than people pulling their weight. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess on a consistent basis, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, Rick Rubio was up and down. Ron Neto was excellent, but he's a backup. So there's only really so much he's contributing. And Dante was just injured <laughs> and inconsistent. So, like, I'd, I'd probably just, because of Donovan, I'd probably give this a B. If it was Donovan alone, I'd probably give him maybe a B plus. Mostly because his early, mostly because his early start was is kind of a distant memory. It's kind of a tale of two seasons for Donovan. So I think overall the guards, a B. Again, mostly because of Donovan. If we're taking him out, probably a C minus. If I'm being honest. Um, yeah, because I, we only had we only had Alec or A B for so long. Uh, we got rid of Rodney. We got. Um, you know, our, our, our two, our two position was depleted. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, with the amount of pressure that he had any given night, given, you know, he did an incredible job. He was inconsistent, especially for the first half, but, you know, come the new year, he was just, he was back to being his old self, which was awesome. Um, but his, does Royce plays the, the wing a little bit? Um, yeah, I'm. I'm kind of throwing. I'm kind of gonna throw him in the wing position, even though he is a two guard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting him in the wing section. So if if he were in, I'd I'd give it a better grade. But we're. I'm I'm putting Royce with the wings. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and Ricky, you know, you love him so much. He plays with so much heart. He cares so much. But he's just never going to be the shooter that we need. <laughs> he's great at distributing. He's a great floor general. But if you know. He gets open shots. It's it's not going in, um, which really sucks because I want nothing but the best for him. But at the end of the day, you're you're at the point guard position, and the point guard position is you know kind of the number one source of offense, scoring and uh, assisting. So that's just something he's not going to be able to do for us. And Neto, yeah, kind of the same thing as Exum. We couldn't keep him for more than two games at a time before he was out again. Um, I, he's our, he was our bulldog. Um, kind of taking on that role of tough guy, uh, especially at his position. And he did good things for us um, here and there. was not so great, but yeah. And then Dante, I just if he could stay healthy, um, man, if you could develop into what you have every potential to be, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I would go C+. Plus. Honestly, just because of the, the the there's so much pressure on Donovan, one guy can't do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, if I had a dime for every time one of us or any Jazz fan has said, if only we, if only Dante Exum stayed healthy right. and could develop into his potential, that's man, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> I could retire now. I'd have more money than make more money than the NFL did this year. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's definitely, you know, Donovan Mitchell carried that position, and outside of that, inconsistency and injuries. All right, so let's move on to the wings. A uh, little better. Uh, so here we've got basically Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Kyle Korver, Tabo Cephalosha, and then, I don't know if you want to throw in Jay Crowder and George Nang. I know both those kind of played power four, but they're kind of wing players in a sense. Um. I forgot to include Grayson Allen with the guards, but I don't think either of our analysis would have really changed with him in there. No. Since he didn't he didn't really play, so Yeah, he didn't really play I mean he got sporadic minutes if that. Most of the time he played was in the G League with the stars. He did get forty points in a game though. In the G League. <laughs> it's well, like, in an NBA it's like the same thing as Jimmer well, points you know, fifty points in the China League. Like, yeah, good job. <laughs> Like you got the forty points against the Clippers. Oh yeah, the last game of the year. Yeah, that, that was awesome. And then you know what? That that should be a precursor. <laughs> Build off that, buddy. But I ain't no. You're not included in my grading system. <laughs> yeah. I, I I actually wrote an article. I looked into it, and there's not a whole lot of guys who made forty points a rookie year that didn't turn out to be at least decent players. Sure. I counted five that kind of eyeballing their stats didn't look like they did all right. And only one of them has come since like the seventies. So I mean. For going off history, it's not actually looking that bad for him. Sure, yeah. But he could be a just he could be one of those you know, 
you never know. Um, so yeah, so the, the wings, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, Royce O'Neal, Kyle Korver, Tabo Cephalosha, George's Niang. Let, let's hear the verdict. Or I can go first if you want again, since you just talked. Um, I'll go ahead and go. I'd, I'd probably give it a... Probably, probably a B plus. Maybe leaning towards slightly higher because you know Joe Ingles is inconsistent, but again he was awesome. Just overall, because you talk about a different performance, but for a role player like him, he was still definitely in that plus. You know, 45%, you know, just under 45% shooting on the season, 39% shooting from three. He increased his assists by almost a whole assist per game. Uh, went from like 4.8 to 5.7. Was a beast in the pick and roll. I have, I still have no clue how he manages to do it. Uh, but that pick and roll with him and Derek Favors was just absolutely deadly. And he did really well there. Um, Royce O'Neal, he had a bit of a rough start, but by the end of the season, he was back to his, you know, kind of that rookie form where he was a, a defensive bulldog, you know, hard-nosed player. Does a lot of things that don't show up on the stat sheet. But this year, he showed up pretty well on the stat sheet. Um, let's see. I was looking at per 100, and I almost said he had like 12 points a game. But, you know, 5.3 rebounds, 3.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists. Still not maybe a ton on the stat sheet, but, again, that was kind of weighed down by early season struggles. But, again, 47% shooting, 38, almost 39% from three. He was definitely net positive on both ends of the floor once, you know, the whole team kind of got out of that early season funk. So uh, he was definitely good. Kyle Korver, his three-point shooting kind of went down when he came to the Jazz, but by the end, again, shooting 38%. Um, so those guys, I think, really keep it up to that B-plus and borderline A-minus. And really bringing it down is Jay Crowder and Tabo Cephalosha, who... You know, Tabo was either injured all the time and not really having much of an impact. And then Jay Crowder, for as much as I love his defensive mentality, was just just hasn't done it for the Jazz on offense. You know, it's kind of like that video of that one kid who's in the gym and he's like shooting three pointers and he misses all of them spectacularly. That's basically what Jay Crowder was for the Jazz this season. Yeah, he was um, a high volume high volume shooter, but I think. For him, towards the end of this season, he definitely became more of a playmaker. He wanted he was going inside more often, and I think that I think that helped him out a lot. Yeah. So, and I don't think any of these guys were really negatives. Tabo is the closest I think it comes to a negative. That's why I'll, I'll go ahead and say a minus for the wings, um, just because they, they did their job. Nobody was really bad, and several of them were good. So. I, I didn't really dislike anything I saw from the Wings. They definitely had some of their negatives. You know, again, Jay Crowder's offense wasn't quite there, and each guy kind of went through their own struggles. But overall, you know, they did what you wanted them to, and and it was usually enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I for me, I'd probably I'd, I'm just gonna start with the grade. I would give them about a B plus for sure because. In reality, without um, without them, I don't think that we would have been nearly as successful as we were this season. Because yeah, I mean Jay may not be a prolific scorer. He you know just jacks up 
shots. If he makes them, then he gets hot. And he's streaky. That's most players in the NBA. But he was yeah. always playing with that fire. He was always playing. Well, I, I say always but loosely, uh, but he was he was playing defense. You know, hard hard nosed defense. He's a he's not a player that's ever going to back down. I thought Niang's growth was awesome this season. I I want to give him a. a an individual shout out because he was just anytime he came in, he looked ready and he made winning plays. Um, and Joe Ingles is, you know, uh, kind of a step backwards in a sense. He was still very instrumental to the team. And, you know, if Ricky wasn't on the court, he was the ball distributor and he's a good passer. Sometimes he made some, those lackadaisical passes or forced it at the playoffs was, Oh my gosh. But I don't want to get into that too much. But yeah, I, I mean, they kind of were the anchor in in a sense, and kind of keeping you know the ball movement going, being able to hit shots semi consistently in terms of who was shooting it, anyways. Um, and yeah, Royce O'Neal, I thought he did a great job, especially now that he's proven that I, I'd, I'd even say he could be a starter kind of reverse those roles, move Joe to the bench and put Royce in and it's the starter. He's younger, he's more athletic, he's lo- um, longer, he can, I, I, he's not at the consistency that Jay, uh, that Joe is quite yet, but yeah, I just, there were two players that we saw a lot of growth from and that was Niang and Royce O'Neal, so I'll give him a B plus. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I forgot to talk about Niang, but yeah, he definitely was a guy who, who just, just did Super well in, in not very many minutes. He averaged eight and a half a game and only played 59 games. But, yeah, when he was called upon, you're definitely right. He was ready and was – I think he was one of the top three-point shooters, I think, outside of Tabo, who actually surprisingly shot 43% from three. Um, George is actually the best three-point shooter on the team if you're just going by a straight percentage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a good player, man. He didn't hurt us at any point. Tabo did, unfortunately, because I just think that age has caught up to him. Um, that yeah, injury definitely. that injury last season, I, I just, you know, he's not 100%, but he made some, you know, decent stuff. But, yeah, Tabo was just kind of a non-factor, non-existent. Yeah, and that's kind of the sad thing is that last year he was, he was a decent piece, and we kept him over Jonas Drebko, which was... Probably a mistake. Um, at least that's what I've heard is that we kept Tapo over Jonas, but in, in the end, I don't think it made too much of a difference for Utah. In the end, sure. I totally forgot um, about Corver. Um, I thought I thought Corver yeah, was Corver. a very smart pickup. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's thirty-seven years old, pushing thirty-eight, going into the off-season. But you know that team offensively the ball started moving when he showed up and it was only two games into him being on back in a jazz uniform when the offense really started to kind of click in and we started seeing that blender offense going a lot more people were moving it was encouraging everybody to shoot when he was hitting everybody else started hitting it was it was awesome it was awesome to see i don't know i hate that you know in the Houston series, he was more or less neutralized. Like that's the reason we didn't see him because he just there wouldn't be anything he could do. Quinn inserted him like maybe two to three times in the entire series, and he just couldn't get anything out of it. Yeah, I, I think really his impact the offense was just because you know he's thirty seven, but the guy moves like he's twenty nine, and he moves around the yep. court, which I think probably played into the fact why everyone else moves. Because when there's that one guy who sprints around the court, it's like 
I'm going to sprint around the court too. And, you know, it's contagious. So it was smart because, yeah, it was this veteran pickup and obviously had good numbers and was good during the regular season. Um, All right, so let's let's move on to the bigs. I'm just going to say this right now. My grade's an A. Like, I've got next to nothing bad to say about the bigs in terms of their performances. Rudy Gobert was a beast, should be winning Defensive Player of the Year again. Derek Favors. I just, any time I ever thought about, you know, maybe we could move on from Derek Favors, he'd go out there and just put together just a bunch of awesome plays, you know, play excellent defense, be an excellent rim protector, you know, be an absolute monster in the pick and roll, dunk on guys. So there's not enough positive things I can say about the play of Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Heck, even when Ipe Yuta was on the court, I was okay with it. Because um, I felt he didn't do a bad job either. So, for me, the the bigs was definitely the best position for the Jazz for a number of reasons. Yeah. And, yeah, I'll just say, like, in terms of a two-deep center position, the Jazz were 100% the best in the NBA. And we were, we were very blessed to have... Both Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. And healthy, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll go with you yeah. on that. I'll go with you on that. A, yeah, I, I thought Rudy Gobert was... The fact that we got him pretty much... The, I think he played the entire season, didn't he? 82? Uh, 81, he set out the last game Okay, of the year. so... Yeah, we had... Basically a, 82. Yeah, and his numbers improved exponentially. And he was just as much a force on defense as he was the previous year. And... Yeah, Derek Favors, the consummate professional workhorse player that he is. My gosh, he saved us in so many games. I, The one that I will always draw to for him for this season, I mean, obviously the whole season he was reliable, but that game against the Milwaukee Bucks where Gobert was just getting destroyed and Quinn put him in and we had that leadership episode or whatever Rudy kind of, you know, saying I'm glad that he put him in that game I think just really defined who Derek Favors is as a player I mean he was just on fire that game yeah leaving that game and also another one was Houston too probably not quite as big was when Rudy got ejected after the refs had a you know axe to grind against Rudy Gobert after he called him out got ejected like two minutes in Derek Favors comes in has a beast of a game the Jazz blow out the Rockets yeah, and yeah. So yeah, I think the the Milwaukee one was definitely a defining one. I think for this whole whole squad, you can pinpoint a lot of cases where Derek Favors came in, just had an awesome game. Uh, so, awesome game, and if uh, if it weren't for Favors, we wouldn't have won Game Four either. Yeah, well, you can say that about so many games, yeah. and like, and I think Dennis Lindsay was talking about Derek Favors, like he, we wouldn't have made it. This far in the playoffs last year, might not have even made the playoffs last year with without Derek Favors, uh, and heck, maybe the year before too. It's just like Derek Favors has been such an integral part of the Jazz, and we don't even recognize it so much of the time. And we don't recognize him enough because Gobert and Mitchell make all the headlines, and Favors makes a headline every now and again once we remember that he's one of the best players. But it takes us, you know, it's like a cycle. Every two weeks or so, we finally remember the, how good Derek Favors is. Um, 
I never, anyway. I personally never forget that Derek Favors is there because every time he comes in the game, I know he's going to produce. I know he's going to do something good. Unfortunately, the, I mean, the media, the media works the way it does. It's, oh, who's the big story? Who's yeah. the big name? Let's talk about that guy. And every now and then, yeah, you're right. They don't, they talk about Favors and, you know, how he saved the game or he made some pivotal uh, play. Uh, but, I mean, we've been, we've been blessed by his. Uh, play for nine years now and I, I really hope that we can keep him because if anything if Quinn decides to switch up the starting lineup which he should you should have D faves in as your backup center because I there's no world and I know we've said this I've beat this duck a dead horse there's no world in which Derek favors is a three-point shooter <laughs> yeah he's he's always gonna be I think Till the end of his career, he'll at best be, at his very best, I think he could shoot 33% on like two attempts per game. That's his peak. Right. Which nobody ever really hits their peak. So, in reality, we're looking at 29% on two attempts. Mm-hmm. So, definitely right there. Not a three-point shooter. <laughs> All right, um... We're going a bit long here. I did want to talk about whether or not we think which players will stick around. Um, we might go through this a little quicker than we might have planned on, but let's go through the list and just have some fun. We might, we'll might we be talking about this more in depth. Our next episode will probably do a lot more of free agency previews, um, which guys the Jazz might target, what things are looking like right now. Um, and even maybe potential draft picks, kind of a preview of that before we have our draft episode later. This will be a lot like last offseason where we kind of space these podcast episodes out a little more. Um, but let, let's get into uh, some of these players here. Which ones we think are going to stick around? Like what our prediction might be. There's doing this like a there's what we think. Round? Yeah. Sure. We'll try and do this real quick. So, all right, Rudy Gobert, he's staying. All right. <laughs> No, no question. Is that easy? Yeah, no. Next, next, uh, next here, player. Well, let's get the guys we we that I think we're, are definitely going to stay. Rudy Gobert, um, Donovan Mitchell, and th- those are the two obviously locks. Okay, so let's get those out of the way and we'll go to the list now. Um, Derek Favors. Jazz have a team option. I think they can. There's a deadline like July seventh or something, like a few days after free agency starts. Um, where they can pick it up, I think. But do you think so? Obviously, we know what you, what you think. I think both of us agree we'd like to see Derek Favors back. But do you think he stays? No, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. He's he's worth he's worth every pretty penny. And my, we've said it before. Like he could go anywhere and be prolific. And you know, if if getting rid of him is going to be kind of the next piece to getting who we need. To build around Donovan, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I think the biggest problem with Derek Favors is he's too expensive for what we'd, what the Jazz would use him for. Because he's worth every point, every dollar of the sixteen point nine million he'll receive next. Well, if that's team option ends up being his salary, you know he's worth every penny that as a starting center or near starting minute center, the Jazz can't provide that for him. I think at most they can give him. 
20 minutes or so. I mean, Rudy Gobert plays 30 minutes at center. That leaves him about 18 a game. You, you, you can't pay a guy $16.9 million to be an 18-minute-per-game center, which it's hard. Um, so there's that. We'll, we'll agonize over that later. Uh, Ricky Rubio, he is a free agent, or will be, you know, start a league year, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I'm just going to say this. I, I don't think he's coming back. If he is, it's going to be on a very reduced salary in a backup role, or it'll be the Jazz really badly struck out in free agency and are bringing Ricky back. That's Those are really the only two situations I can see Rubio coming back. Oh, sure. I mean, and you could even pick up on it when he was doing his exit interview. I, he knows I, he has a feeling he's not going to be here, which is sad because yeah. I, I love him as a person. But, yeah, I mean, we need, we need a point guard that can shoot, <laughs> bar none. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, next one, Joe Ingles. Um, he's probably yeah, he's staying. Stay. Yeah. Barring the Jazz making some horrible trade, horrible in terms of uh, how it would feel, it'd have to be a really good trade to get rid of Joe Ingles. Um, next, Dante Exum. The main thing keeping him here now is the fact that nobody's going to want him. <laughs> if the Jazz can get rid of him, they will. But I don't see anybody paying him twenty, uh, twenty-three million for over two years for a guy who's going to play about twenty-three games. So I don't know though because I, I think I, I don't know though because there are going to be teams out there that are going to want him, not only want him but play him. Now I know right now he's damaged goods, um, but I think when the if I remember correctly during the Conley trade talks, he was a piece that Memphis wanted. And he was healthy at that point. So we, you know, Dennis Lindsay was like, eh, no. So that's why that deal fell through. But it was also before he got injured again, which kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back in a lot of people's opinions for him, including mine. Sure. Uh, so I think that really put a lot of people over or, you know, through the floor or over the top or whatever metaphor we want to use. If, if the, you know, it only takes one team, I guess. If, if they believe in him, it only takes one team. But I I don't really believe the team's out there right now. But, again, I'm not 30 NBA teams. All right, next. Kyle Korver uh, is under contract. I think it's non-guaranteed. I'm not sure. I saw one place that said it was non-guaranteed. But he's also talking about retiring. He's going to be 38 next season. And you got the feeling that he was thinking about retirement and might end up doing it. Yeah, but he did say that this is going to be the longest off season he's had in a few years. So, yeah, I yeah, I mean, I will say a maybe. Yeah, I think if it it does depend on retirement. Cause I think he did really enjoy his time with the Jazz. It's a good team. Mm-hmm. You know, if he stays, you know, he'll have one more year. Get paid another seven and a half million. All right, Jay Crowder. That's a stay. I think, yeah, stay, maybe trade piece, but I think most likely we'll stay. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha. I don't, I don't think he's coming that, back. Yeah, that's... That, he's, a, he's a free yeah, agent. Yeah, that's... that's I, I enjoyed having Tabo, but he, I don't know. I don't think we'll keep him. Yeah. Uh, Ipe Yudo, a free agent. 
think they'll probably keep him. Unless the Jazz draft a big in the draft. Well, who were we going to need in the draft, though? We've got Tony Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. For a second, you looked serious, and I was about to... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Speaking of which, Tony Bradley's going to be on the team next year, too, by the way. Yep. Well, he'll be with the team, air quotes, as in the stars. You watch um, out for Tony Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> he can shoot threes, can he? <laughs> I think he can, actually. Yeah. I think he's like, right, maybe average or slightly below average for the NBA. Uh, if he were to actually shoot an NBA volume. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Udo will... If they draft somebody, because right now looking at all the projections, it looks like the Jazz are in a range where there's only a bunch of bigs, not many wings. So they may end up, if they end up going best player available, it might be a big. We'll see. But I think it'll depend on if the Jazz want an upgrade to backup center. Um, okay. Raul Neto. He's under contract, or Howell Neto. Always going to say his name wrong. Uh, Howell stay. I- yeah, I think so too. He's a good backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gr- Grayson Allen, I think he'll stay. You know, rookie contract and all that. Not losing any money there. Yeah, no, he ain't going nowhere. Yeah, but again, he might be another one of those. You know, with the team in air quotes, but with the stars. Oh, he might actually spend a little more time with the team this next year, depending on how all the rest of these um, end up. Uh, went over Tony Bradley, Georges Niang. He has a team option, I believe, this year. But I think the Jazz are going to yep. pick that one up. They will absolutely pick him up. like what they saw at him. And then Royce O'Neal. He's going to stay. He's staying. Yep. Unless for some reason they decide to use him as a sweetener and a trade for somebody, I think Royce will, will be sticking around. Uh, outside of that, we just have the two-way deals with Tyler Kavanaugh and Naz um, Mitrulong. Yep, nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, I don't know. Those two may or may not stay. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> they never saw the. They never saw the court anyway. So the two-way guys never see the court. So if they do, you're in real trouble, or you got real lucky. Now, those are really the only two options. So there we go. Those are lightning round of whether or not we think guys will stick stick around or stay. Um, you know, we're bumping in on an hour here. It's one of our longer podcasts. Um, we're trying to recap an entire season, so <laughs> that's true. That is true. Although, so, although I think about two minutes of that was us right before the recording. So I, uh, the recording for mine says like fifty-nine minutes, but yeah, I think two of that was us right before we hit go. Uh, but anyway, that'll be it for this week. Again, uh, we probably won't be recording if we do record next week we'll, we'll see it just depends on scheduling we are going to be spacing these out a little more since you know next week there's not really going to be any more news we'll try and space these closer to key moments you know the draft free agency previews things like that so uh, it might be a little bit of extra time that'll give you some time to just kind of relax from the jazz season get out all of your pent-up rage over losing the series and uh, we'll talk to you next time thank you so much <laughs>